And I think that sometimes when uh, we take the, the, an opportunity to go to the people that we love the most and the people that we trust, and we're willing to just ask, hey, I'm just curious, like, what can I do to be better for you? Mm-hmm. What, what can I, what, you know, is there anything that I can do in my life, anything that I can do to change? Like, what can I do to keep you a part of my, my, my life? What can I do to, you know, strengthen our relationship? And I, and just, I genuinely want to know, how can I do better? How can I be better for you? Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Feeding Curiosity. I'm your host, Eric Wenzel, as always. Feeding Curiosity is a podcast that explores the precarity of human experience. It is our hope through these conversations to provide blueprints for others to learn and lead a more fulfilling life. Our challenge to ourselves and others is to think, question, and synthesize wherever our curiosity takes us. In today's episode, we are joined by Clint Pulver. Clint is known as the Millennial Speaker. He works with organizations that want to retain, engage, and inspire the younger generation. As one of the most sought-after keynote speakers, Clint travels the world every year, helping educators to remember the power and the significance of teaching, and that how they choose or choose not to teach in the classroom changes lives. He's appeared on America's Got Talent and in several different feature films. Clint was named one of the Business Cues magazine's top 40 under 40 for his work helping educators elevate their why of mentorship in the classroom and connect and engage educators to yield loyal and long-term retention within the teaching job. For over a decade, Clint has dedicated his heart to helping schools and administration understand the younger generation while helping the younger generation to understand themselves. Through his experience in the classroom, Clint demonstrates that to improve the quality of teaching, we must be willing to improve the quality of teaching job. With a blend of humor, unforgivable stories, and actual takeaways that stick, Clint proves firsthand to educators and administration that a single moment can truly change a child's life. And in this conversation, none of that falls short. In fact, this conversation, even though it is a little bit shorter than our average, packs quite a punch. I was sitting here thinking a lot about what Clint's message was and honestly what I needed to change in my own life or not take for granted as much. And in many cases, those are the people that are around you, not because they have to be and not because they should be, but because they want to be. So with that, everybody, please enjoy this amazing conversation with Clint Pulver. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Feeding Curiosity. And in today's episode, we are joined by Clint Pulver. Hey, Clint. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, this is awesome. I really appreciate making the time. And um, to kind of jump into this, in your bio you have on here, which is known as the Millennial Speaker. And I think it's a really cool title to kind of give yourself because in the modern world, the title of millennial usually doesn't have a lot of positive connotations to it. And I don't know if you want to unpack that to kind of explain your background or like what you're focusing your time most in right now, but I'd just love to dive in starting with that. Yeah, it's a great question. So uh, five years ago, I started uh, an organization called the Center for Employee Retention. And the whole underlying initiative to that organization is a program that we called the Undercover Millennial Program. And so kind of think Undercover Boss, if anybody's seen that TV episode, it's like that without the makeup. 
Mm-hmm. And so we've worked with a lot of organizations and we've gone in undercover. Myself being a, a millennial, I would go in to these organizations as someone who was looking for a job. And I, being a millennial and similar to many of the other employees who were young millennials, we got the most authentic and real data as to what was working in an organization and what wasn't working. The most compelling thing in the research that we've done, we've interviewed over 10,000 employees, is when the, the worker, the staff member, the associate would say, when asked the question, hey, what's it like to work here? And they would respond with, I love it here. I love my job. I love what I get to do. I, I love what we're building. I love my manager. I love the purpose I feel like I, this is what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was really exciting to hear that kind of a response. And the reason behind that and why employees were so loyal and engaged to certain organizations, cer- certain people, and how these great leaders of these organizations were creating companies that people never wanted to leave. And so that's how, hence the word undercover millennial came to be and supported our initiative and, and what we try to, to, to compile and show to organizations, corporations, and the movement that we're trying to create in the world. That's really interesting. So for, so for what your company is doing is trying to highlight within culture, what is basically working or not working with this new age of the workforce that is basically radically different than how it has ever been with technology such as the internet and things like that for your research purposes. And I know you can't probably can't take too much, but what are some of like the key takeaways that you've seen in cultures that work well for people or why people stick around? Yeah, I think it's really interesting to first note that in all of our research, you know, a lot of what we, we did, it was not just simply interviewing millennials or Gen Z or the baby boomers or Gen X. The research was across the board. It, we, we interviewed all sorts of different types of employees. And what we found, one of the most compelling things, is that it was not a generational issue. I think, like you mentioned before, Eric, with, with the, sometimes millennial and the millennial generation has this bad or negative connotation mm-hmm. where... You know, people go, oh, they're entitled or they're lazy or this is the give me now generation or they're not willing to work or all those stigmas that we sometimes hear. And we found that it's not generational. It's not a generational problem. Millennials and the younger generation are no different than the generation 20 years before them. We found that people are people. Now, the world, like you mentioned, the Internet and social media growing up in a digital age, growing up in a world where we have cell phones. Uh, The world is changing. The the market is changing. We're in a different time. Mm -hmm. But, But humans, there are still core vital needs that work in any, in any, system or form that, and, and that was, that was what was so cool is we found these universal concepts that were not a generational strategy. It was not a hack. It was not a do this. If you have millennial employees and you're going to win, mm-hmm. it's just not the case. It's not true. Like there is no one size fits all strategy, but there are, there are eternal truths. There are principles that work when it comes to making sure that people are seen, heard, and they're understood. Yeah. And so I set that precedent because I think it's important to know, and anybody that thinks that, well, because you have a younger generational workforce that you need to treat them differently, it's just not true. Mm-hmm. Everybody just needs to be seen, heard, and understood in a different way. Yeah, that, that's a really interesting point because 
what you're getting at is kind of baseline philosophical about well, well-being and f- fulfillment of the self. You know, if, if an individual feels like they're purpose-driven or, or mission-driven, they will put all of themselves into whatever that is. And it, it's a newer, I think it's a, well, it's not newer in the sense, but it seems to be a newer paradigm shift within companies to kind of focus on the individual to allow, you know, the flourishing of individuals' needs. And it's not something that most people kind of come by. How, what drove you into this space of trying to find fulfillment for either in the workplace or just for yourself? Is this something you do for yourself? Yeah, absolutely. For, for me, I mean, I went through a, a, a period and a phase where I had a job that I hated. I mm-hmm. had a job that I wasn't fulfilled by. I didn't have the greatest bosses. I had horrible management. I felt like I was a number. It was, uh, I, it, it was literally like I was there to just hit a need for the company to grow. Like I just, I was not valued. I was not appreciated. And, and not that I, I, I'm not saying like, I needed like this fluffy feel good situation all the time. But there was also that inner sense of like purpose and drive and significance and doing something bigger than myself. And I, and when I was in school at, at the university that I studied at, I remember there was a mentor of mine that shared with me a quote by Oscar Wilde. And the quote said to live is the rarest thing in the world for most people merely exist. Mm hmm. And for me, every single day, I, that, that quote kind of somewhat in a way haunted me because I felt like I was literally just existing every day, doing the same thing, nine to five, rinse and repeat, get up, do the same thing, nine to five, rinse and repeat. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you are not fulfilled by that, if you feel like you are not living a life of significance versus a life of success, and there's that sense of like purpose, right? You go mm-hmm. back to the Mark Twain quote, or I mean, there's lots of motivational type things. Uh, that, that kind of solidify this where Mark Twain, you know, said there's two important days in a person's life, the day you're born and then the day you figure out why. And some people might listen to that and go, nah, it's too motivational for me. <laughs> but for me, it meant something. For me, it was impactful. Like, yeah, there's the day that you're born and then when you figure out why, you know, what, 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 what can I do? What can I add value to? What, what sparks my heart on fire? Yeah. What allows me on a daily basis, most of the time to do something bigger than myself. And that was kind of what led to the question that I posed to three of my buddies out of frustration. And I asked them, I said, wouldn't it be crazy if you could find a job that allowed you to do what you love most of the time, but it also provided for you financially in a way that was sufficient for your needs. And then third, what if it contributed in some way to a sense of purpose that you Mm -hmm. felt like on a daily basis that you could do something bigger than yourself? And both my buddies kind of, they, they, they responded with a little bit of skepticism. They said, yeah. I don't think that exists. I don't think, I mean, you could find one job that allows you to do something, all three of those most of the time. And I said, it's kind of, I mean, you kind of like exist, like living, right? Like yeah. that's a rare thing. And my, my buddy said, yeah, he said, what you're talking about is an anomaly. And I, I disagreed. <laughs> and two weeks after, Two weeks after that conversation, I, I put in my res- resignation to the current job that I had and I left and I, I left to, to, to live, but I also left, that was the day I decided to kind of become the anomaly, to do something that was rare, to really start living in. And to, still to this day, Eric, the day I quit my job was the day I truly started living 
And so I think there's that personal side of the story Mm -hmm. that it was always so intriguing to me when doing the undercover research when an employee was living. And I think what an opportunity, right? If you're an employer and if you influence people, if you're a leader, the opportunity that you have to provide not just a living, right? Like we call it a living, like a financial, like I can make a living off of this, but to really live where people feel like they're doing their best work when they're with you doing what you do as an organization. It's fulfilling. It's exciting. That's a captivating thing. That's a cool, that's a cool, compelling movement that helps people write a better story Mm -hmm. and that sells and that uh, is powerful. It's empowering. It creates a sense of significance, not just a sense of success. And it was intoxicatingly fascinating to me. And it spurred on the whole research project into, you know, how were organizations doing this for people? Yeah. That's really interesting. In a way that they could live. Yeah. Like, like it, for me, like when you said the anomaly, I thought that was such an apt word. Cause I was thinking that exact same thing is like, you decided to flip the script and say, you know, instead of saying, oh, this doesn't exist and being cynical about it or skeptical at the very least, you said, you know what, let's go try and find it. And I think in many ways, it's that thing that kind of grabs you by your, you know, your lampels, so to speak. And you're, you're just kind of thrust upon whatever your direction you're supposed to take in some, in some cases. That sounds like similar to your story. Yeah, absolutely. Again, like, I think the more you th- you immerse yourself in taking risks, right? Uh, doing something that is a little bit different. And that was, sc- that was hard. That was scary. That was, it was difficult to leave a career in an industry as in the medical field where there mm-hmm. was a, a great salary and there was benefits and there was security and stability. But again, every day I was not living. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I don't know. Yeah. What, what an opportunity to, to find that and to, to be able to be a part of that. And that's what this career has really afforded to me to, to, to do. And it's, it's been a really fun journey. That's so cool. So for you, you just said one of the, the scariest words for people is taking risks or, or being a risk taker. How do you get yourself to, to be comfortable with even risk taking or just kind of minimizing those risks? Because I think that's one of the secret skills for a lot of people to, to go out on their own path. Yeah, I, I, I do. I, I 100% believe that you fail your way to success. Mm-hmm. And, but we're afraid of failure. And failure is hard and failure is difficult and fair, failure is, is scary. Like nobody wants to just fail. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I've never met that I do. Like I've never met anybody that's like that. But yet it, failure is a part to success. But I also would say in the same sentence, there is a way to I call it to de-risk a situation because again, failure uh, or doing something that is hard, there's a risk to that. There, there, you could fail, but there is a way to de-risk the situation. There's like that old story. I don't even know if it's true. It's about Cortez and he goes to this Island and all of his troops and they go to like have war and, and, and overtake this Island. But to ensure that the warriors and the, the, the team wins, he burns the ships, mm-hmm. burns the ships on the shore. And he looks at the, at the, at the, the men and the warriors and says, listen, we're either going to win or we're going to die. <laughs> and it's kind of this like story yeah. of like, dang, like we're going to either like, we're going to fail big time or we're going to succeed. 
And I do think that there is something to that when, you know, there's a lot of, at stake and there's a lot of risk and there's a lot of, you know, you're, you're putting something out there like that, 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 that does help sometimes to motivate people to work a little harder, to put in a little more effort, to do a little bit more. But every time I've heard that story, I go, man, well, I mean, how can I, instead of just like burning the ships, like how can I bring the ships a little bit closer to the shore? Mm -hmm. How can, how can I bring, how, how can you de-risk this situation like instead of burning the ships and just swimming and saying, let's hope that it works. I just bring the ships a little closer to shore, like, like <laughs> de-risk this situation. Mm -hmm. And so there's ways, there's ways to do that. I call it the power of, 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 you know, living a life by design, not by default. The more specific you can get and creating a plan that could potentially succeed, the, the more I, I believe the more possible the reality can be achieved. So, uh, you know, for example, me quitting my job, if I would have just simply quit my job and said, Hey, I just hope this all works out. That's to me, that's kind of default. That's like, I'm just going to sit back and hope that something great happens yep. versus designing it, taking action and creating a, a plan, creating a, a budget, uh, designing it. What do I want it to look like? What do I want to become? What do I want to be? What's that goal? What's the thing I'm trying to achieve? And then designing methodically and a systematic approach to creating steps that allow you to achieve that. Mm -hmm. I, I believe that little by little makes a little a lot. And when we plan the little steps, even though we can't always see the end result, but if you just, if you just go as far as you can see, those small, simple little steps that in reality, over time, it'll allow you to see further. Every time in my life when I've just gone as far as I can see, usually when I get there, I can see further. <laughs> and I think that it, it sometimes paralyzes people when trying to make a decision when they go, I have no idea what's going to happen or I don't know if it's going to work. And we, we don't see the long-term result or we don't see the security of that decision. Yeah. And, and I would say, just go as far as you can see, go as far as you can see. And generally when you get there, you can see further design it. And then also there's power in finding other people that have walked the journey before you. Mm -hmm. I call it, you should find your board of mentors. Mm -hmm. Whenever you're making a tough decision or a hard uh, life altering opportunity comes about or whatever, like create a board of mentors. It's like a board of directors. Every mm -hmm. significant or successful company has a board of directors and it's a, a strategized thought out decision of people that are awesome that have, that have experience and expertise and credibility and competence within the certain role or uh, objective or goal of the business. And so anytime that business has to make an important decision or there's a sense of risk involved, or there's something that they're unsure of, they take the decision to the board of directors. Yeah. Same thing in a personal basis. Create your board of mentors. I love Who that. are the people <laughs> that are doing what you want to do and that are, have become what you want to become? I believe that you should do whatever it takes to associate with extraordinary people. You are 24 hours away from anybody in the world. Mm -hmm. Anybody. And man, especially when you're trying to figure something out in your life, I call it rookie mode. You are a beginner. You are a novice. And most people, most good humans are willing to help people that are in rookie mode. And when you're willing to be taught, you're humble, you're, you're hungry, you're tenacious, you, you, you're willing to, to put in some work mm -hmm. and earn it. Man, most people 
will help people like that because they remember what it was like to be them. They remember what it was like when you were first starting out and you were nervous or, or you were unsure and things are tight and it's just a hard situation. And that was one thing that was so surprising to me as I reached out for help. How many people were willing to support me? How many people were willing to be a part of that board of mentors? And they helped me to see things, to make decisions, uh, to choose a better path, to avoid pitfalls, and to really just create an, uh, a better story. So mm-hmm. all right, find your board of mentors That's and so- then be willing to design. <laughs> That's so cool. Uh, there's, too, there's so much to impact from those stories. But like the, the first one would be, how do you, any routines that you use for yourself to keep you on track, like little daily things that you have to not really checking the box puts the wrong connotation, but things that you are non, non-negotiable, you get those done in a given day. Yeah. For me, I, my life is, is fairly busy, right? I'm on the road a lot, mm-hmm. traveling as a speaker, writing all this busy. I have a family that I love. I have a girl. There's a lot of distractions or lots of things to do or lots of responsibilities mm-hmm. or lots of opportunities, whether it's professionally, personally, there's just lots going on. And so for me, I found that, 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 that keeping it simple has been key for me. Keep the main thing, the main thing, mm-hmm. but we live in a world where there's so many distractions. There's so many things that, that call for our attention or that we can give attention to. And for me, simplicity, it, it's key. So for my habits and my rituals, I keep it simple. Like one, one, one thing, for example, for me that I've been doing consistently is just going, going to the gym for, for four days a week, four days a week. And my motto and the, 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 I don't know, I call it a little hashtag is just get there. That's the, the motto mm. hashtag. Just get there. If I can just get there and that, and that's the goal that is, it's simple. There's nothing else. Uh, it's not like burn this many calories and no, don't take sugar and only eat these things. No, it's just get there. For me, that's, that's the, the that's the one thing. What's mm-hmm. the one thing that you can, that you can focus on? And I think what helped me to, to do that the most was to say no to uh, more. Yeah. I think that good, good leaders, for example, for the most part, we know they know what they need to do. They know what your role, your responsibility is, but the great leaders we found in our research the great leaders knew what they needed to stop. Mm-hmm. Like, how can we simplify it? What are some things that we can stop? So for me, I started, instead of creating a to-do list, for me, when it, when it came to, to really creating great habits, I started to create what I call a to-don't list. Mm-hmm. The to-don'ts. I think we're good at sometimes creating the to-do list. Like, yeah. these are things I need to get done. But for me, to create those habits and rituals, there was the power of a to don't list that really changed everything for me. What are the things you're going to stop doing that allow you to give more time to the things that really matter? Mm-hmm. I think that's really important. I think as you know, we're so bogged down in, you know, being bombarded by emails or text messages or whatever notifications that are coming our way. And you don't realize how much, you know, like you're saying in the positive direction, you just start chugging away and making small steps in, in a direction you want to head. And in the same way, we kind of give our time to, to these devices that really don't, if you know, affect us or these notifications that are just eating away at, at that time that we want to be stepping in other directions. And yeah, it's so such an empowerful thing to, to be able to have a realization for it. How would you recommend someone start recognizing the things in their life that are taking away time from them that they may not realize? I mean, 
I think there's power in listening, listening to the people that you love the most Mm -hmm. and the people that, that love you. I think some of the greatest, I don't know, the greatest insight in my life to the things that I need to stop doing or the things I need to do better at have come from the people that I love the most. You know, my, my wife, for example, or uh, great close friends, even my mom and my dad, my parents, close mentors. And I think sometimes uh, we need to be willing to ask because there's those hard conversations where, you know, there's things that we're doing in our life that are just so annoying to others, or it's not healthy, or it's something that we really could improve on. And sometimes we just don't see it, right? You don't mm-hmm. see, you know, the, you know, the, the, how it's hurting somebody else or that, you know, this thing could make somebody else jealous or this thing is, is really causing guilt or whatever it may be. Yeah. And I think that sometimes when we take the, the, an opportunity to go to the people that we love the most and the people that we trust and we're willing to just ask, Hey, I'm just curious, like, what can I do to be better for you? Mm-hmm. What, what can I, what, you know, is there anything that I can do in my life? Anything that I can do to change? Like, what can I do to keep you a part of my, my, my life? What can I do to, you know, strengthen our relationship? And I, and just, I genuinely want to know how can I do better? How can I be better for you? And I think if you create obviously a, a safe environment and you are a person that that person trusts and, and truly loves, like what an opportunity, what an opportunity to strengthen your relationship, what an opportunity to create uh, a stronger connection through vulnerability and being willing uh, to improve. Mm -hmm. I think that sometimes in our relationships, we're not always willing to ask, Hey, how can I be a better friend? Yeah. How can I be a better, how can I be a better mom? Like, you know, the, the moms and dads listening to this, like when's the last time with, you know, a young child uh, or a high school student, middle school student. And you just said, Hey, I just want to know what can I do better for you? Yeah. How can I be a better dad? You know, how can I make you feel more a part of the family? What's getting in the way of, of, of your success? Again, I think, I think too, that everybody, every, all of our relationships, everybody's asking the question, let me know when it gets to the part about me. Ooh, every person that you have a relationship, I, I think in some way, shape or form is asking you in that relationship, Hey, let me know when, when, what you do and why you do it. Let me know when it gets to the part about me. Hey dad, let me know when you care about what I'm doing at school mm-hmm. or Hey, you know, wife or spouse, you know, let me know when, when you care about, you know, the struggles that I, I've gone through all day at home when I'm doing dishes and, and dealing with the kids and you've been at work all day. Let me know when that matters to you. Uh, let, I, just, I do. I think everybody again yeah. wants to be seen, heard and understood. And I think sometimes it's just a simple you know, question like, mm-hmm. what can I do? What can I do to make sure that we get to the part about you? Yeah. More? I, that's so interesting to me because, because I do believe that some people do, there's a point where most of us in our lives, we take certain people for granted, be it our, our parents or our significant others or even siblings. And we stop to think that, Hey, they're people too. And cause, cause they're, since they're always around, it's like, you don't realize what is going on in their life because you're always doing the things in your life and kind okay. of t- taking the stuff and be like, wait a minute, what can I do for this person 
you know, and just stand still for a second is a really powerful thing, I think. And it's something I never, I haven't even really considered myself. And right now I'm thinking, who can I text after this? And <laughs> like legitimately as crazy as it sounds, but I, I think that's such a powerful change for people to kind of just take stock and be like, Hey, what's going on in your life at the very least? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think too, like that's what people really truly cherish. I think it's the foundation of great connection. It's the foundation of great relationships and our, our research it was always the intangibles that people talked about, not the tangibles. Yeah. When somebody loved this, loved Ray every three months, nobody ever said, I, I love this place because we throw sick Christmas parties every two months. <laughs> no, they always talked about the connection. They talked about the people. They talked about how they felt. They talked about uh, just uh, the understood that I feel cared about. I feel like I'm doing something bigger than myself. It was an intangible intrinsic thing that just, it's so powerful. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, like Eric, like, you know, could you tell me if I asked you, you know, who the last three NFL MVPs were? No, not even a little bit. <laughs> or, or what about, what about, could you tell me who the last two Academy Award winners were for best actor? No. No. Most people can't, like literally, like 99.9% .9 of the world, like they would have no idea. Like you mm -hmm. could not, like, I, I, and the reason why, and again, some of the, those are some of the most famous, popular, prestigious, wealthy, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. types of people in the world. But, but nobody really knows why, because nobody, uh, I want to be careful when I say this, but for the most part, we don't really care. It doesn't right? affect nothing someone's life. Football, nothing against acting. Yeah, but then, but then, if I ask you this question, Eric, like, tell me, can you tell me the name of a school teacher in your life that helped you mm -hmm. and that was there for you? Absolutely. Do you remember the name, Miss Miss Business? Remember their name? She was my Boom. she's my fourth you grade know, teacher. Could you? <laughs> yeah, like, could could you tell me the name of somebody in the last month who's helped you through a hard time? Mm-hmm. Like those names come up. Why? Because they were the people that got to the part about you. Mm -hmm. They, I guarantee they were the person that sparked the possibility. They were the person that communicated your potential and your worth in a way that, man, you go, I like myself best because I'm with you. They're a person that they created safety and trust and they're a person that you, you can connect with. They were a person that sparked the possibility for you. That's what gets remembered. Mm-hmm. That, that's what, again, is the difference between significance and success. And I think it's, it is, it is, yes, it sometimes comes across as this fluffy, motivational, heartfelt kind of a thing. But again, that's what gets remembered. Yeah. That's what, you know, I, I guarantee that teacher of yours, Eric, was a person that you were willing to work a little harder for. It was a person that you connected with because, again, they connected to you. We remember those mm -hmm. people because they remember us. Yeah. It matters. I, I mean, it's one of the stories that I, I talk about a lot of times because it, it shows it's almost like your Mr. Jensen story for me. Like that was one of the first videos I saw of your stuff. And I just, it, it resonated to the core because this teacher for me, Miss Biznack was the first person to tell me I could read other books. And this is coming from someone who I was taking extra reading comprehension lessons out of class. So I felt like other 
And she basically gave me the okay to read books outside of, you know, the scholastic reading levels. Cause at that time that was like huge. So it's like, you should read within your category. And so I was just following the rules, but I was not interested in those, those books for whatever reason. And then she kind of gave me okay to explore and it opened up this doorway for me that I didn't think was possible before that. And that set me on a path to just become this voracious reader that I am today in some ways, which is, it's so crazy to, you know, having one moment that you can look back on and say, yep, there's that inflection point, you know, and that's why part of why I reached out to you is because, you know, you have that inflection point and being able to communicate those stories, because I think a lot of times you need that spark of inspiration to say, yes, you can do that or be X for people's lives. You know, it's, it's, it's not like you wake up one day and you're always like, yeah, I'm gonna be that, you know, like an astronaut or something. And sometimes that is true, but sometimes there's also a lot of times I think there's those people around you that you respect and you hold their opinion at a higher level and say, that's right. You like, it's like, Oh wait, you think I can do this? I didn't even think I could do this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it, yeah. And it's powerful when it comes from them. Yeah. Because, you know, that, we called that the, the difference in our research. We, we called it mentorship mm-hmm. versus management, mm-hmm. where a leader or a person of influence became a mentor, not just a manager, where they became an advocate, mm-hmm. not just someone who developed you. And, uh, you know, like it, it was to the point where like anything they said or when they believed in you, like that meant something because they were someone that was influential, someone that was credible, mm-hmm. someone that was competent, someone that was caring. They were someone that would be willing to be honest with you. Yeah. And, and when they, when they believed in you, man, it was just, it, it's crazy what that can do. And you look at like, like, you know, on a, like a, like a film or a movie side of things, like any great film, there's always that mentor that shows up and, 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 and really helps write a better story for the mentee. Like you look like, like genie, like the Aladdin and the genie, right? Mm-hmm. Aladdin had the genie. Simba had Mufasa. Rocky. I love that movie. Yeah. Uh, Rocky had Mick. Yep. Uh, Frodo, Frodo, right? Frodo had Gandalf, mm-hmm. Harry Potter and shoot. Why can't I think of his name? Dumbledore. Dumbledore. Yeah. Right. Like Mm -hmm. these, these iconic characters, these iconic figures that showed up and, and the reason they became the mentor is because they were the person that could connect the mentee to their dream. Mm -hmm. Great mentors connect people to their dreams. And it was always so powerful. Anytime an employee talked about, you know, the Mr. Jensen, or in your case, like your teacher, when they talked about that kind of a person, they were always in some way, they were the person that connected you to your dream. They helped you to find something better. They helped you to do something more. They were an advocate, not just a developer. And in doing so, man, we just love those people. Yeah. And we don't forget them. And to me, there's just power in mentorship versus leadership or management. They're different. Mm -hmm. I really, I, wholeheartedly resonate with this. It's like right now, as I'm like hearing you explain the stuff, I'm, it's giving me goosebumps because of how much it resonates for me because I think about these stories a lot of times. And when you hear, you know, I always think about the person who just says, Oh, I'm just bad at X. Right. And a lot of times it's like math or, or something like that. And it kind of breaks my heart inside because I think about, you know, sometimes it's, it's not that they're bad at that thing. It's just, they didn't have the right teacher that could show it to them in a way that unlocks it in themselves. They can do that. 
you know, and sure, maybe it, something will be more difficult for you. And that's, that's totally true. But I still think that we can always improve from where we're at. And, and I, it's always, yeah. it's always about connecting to the person and being like, no, 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 like, it's okay. Like, it's going to be hard, but you're going to figure this out. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. And we need that. We need mm-hmm. that. Like we live in a world that is surrounded by negativity, mm-hmm. a world that you're not good enough or comparison or you know, you just scroll through Instagram and you see everybody's awesome lives and all the things that they're doing. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have like a super strong sense of confidence, it's easy to get beaten down yes. or to compare or to feel like you're not good enough. And I mean, like I, at the Hawthorne Institute, this was like seven years ago, they came out with a study and they found that you know, a human will have anywhere from 15,000 to 60,000 thoughts in a day. Mm-hmm. But what they also found is as you know, what people were thinking about 80% of it was negative. That's like, I'm not good enough, cool enough. I'm not skinny enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not fast enough. I don't sit at the cool table at lunch. I only got 56 likes on my Instagram post, whatever it is. Like we just, we, we can bump, bombard ourselves with this negativity. And if you take 80% of that, on a daily basis, and, and we compound that day after what's possible. It's easy to give up. It's easy to beat yourself up. It's easy to get discouraged. And I think the more we can surround ourselves with good people doing positive things that believe in us, mm-hmm. man, what, a, what an opportunity to really stay on course and, 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 and do and be something that you're supposed to be. And again, we need people in our lives to do that. It's the age old saying it is uh, truly, it takes a teamwork to make the dream work. Yeah. And when we surround ourselves with great people that see that in us, because there will be days when you don't see it within yourself. And that's where we have to lean. We have to, we have to have good people to lean on because they would, they're, they're really the ones that help us stay on course. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's powerful because when you take a stock of what really matters in life, like you were saying, you know, you, you look back on the year and be like, Oh, here's all the people that have been around me and are there no matter what. I'm really grateful to have friends of mine that I've known for basically all my life. They're basically brothers. And it's the strangest thing to be able to have people in your life that no matter how far away or how long it's been since you talk to them or how busy life gets, if you get in the same room, it's like you're able to pick up right where things left off and they don't care about what you talk about and they don't care about, you know, what's going on in life or whatever, or even if there is terrible things happening in life. And even in those moments, I think those are the moments where they kind of show up the most because you don't realize how much it means when people drop what their busy lives to show up for you and hold space. I think that's a, yeah. Uh, overlooked tenant of true friendship. Yeah. And I, and I would throw out a challenge, you know, Eric, to you and mm-hmm. to anybody listening. Like if you have people like that in your life, man, tell them, thank you. Like next time you see them, like give them a hug and just say, I just need you to know how much you mean to me. Mm-hmm. I need you to know, like you, you are this type of a person for me. Like you become the mentor, you become the Obi-Wan Kenobi, you become <laughs> the, 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 the Gandalf, right? Like you are that person for me. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that, I don't know, we, we need to be a, a little more quick sometimes to just express gratitude for those significant, really cool and powerful people in our lives. Like I always tell people too, if there was a teacher, like write that teacher a letter. 
Yeah. Find out, you know, send that teacher a Facebook message. Go back to those people and just, there's a power in that, just appreciation and gratitude for those people. And, and they need to be thanked more. I think some of the greatest mentors are just never truly thanked or recognized for the good that they, they do. Yeah, I, I think it's one of those things you don't, because you don't realize the power that they like bestow upon you in the moment as like, you know, a little fourth grader or, or something like that, because it's like in the moment you're just like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to do this. And then it's not until you get a chance yep. to look back and reflect that you're like, Oh wow, there's, there's that moment, you know? And it, it, it's, right. it's really cool to kind of give that gift back because I don't think a lot of teachers, especially teachers don't understand how much of an impact they can make or, you know, one conversation can put onto someone, you know, it's not like the pay raises, you're not going to remember a pay raise in the, in the grand scheme of things. It's, it's going to be yeah, those moments. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. You're exactly right. So we're getting short on time here. So I want to ask a couple more like targeted questions on for you to kind of, you know, push it on to other people. But for like, if you're overwhelmed or unfocused and I think we might've covered this a little bit, what do you do for yourself? Is there anything you do like maybe mindfulness or deep breathing, things like that? Yeah, I play the drums. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, yeah, so I've been been a professional drummer for uh, 21 years, and drumming is a major part of my life. Mm -hmm. uh, I do it on stage in my performances. I, I, yeah, I love it, and it's a great stress reliever for me. So, so for the for the drumming, what did it feel like? What does it feel like for you to like? get the sticks in your hand, like maybe after a long day and you're kind of just, you know, beat down from the day and you just kind of sit behind the drum set. What does it feel like? It's, it's super therapeutic. Like drumming, it allows me to create. I love the sound of, of like really well-tuned drums. For me, some, there's something, it's weird. It's a weird uh, like drummer thing. Mm -hmm. There's just something that just mm -hmm. feels right when, when the drums just sound good. And I love that sound. I'm a big sound person. Sounds got it's got to just sound a certain way, and so for me, it's fun to you know wrap myself up in that sound. But to know that I'm creating that, so I get to control the sound and the flow, mm -hmm. and that's what a drummer does, right? In a band, like if the drummer is the one that sets the tempo, that helps with the feel, uh, that drives the band, you know. And it's a combination of all the instruments in a musical group. But for me, it's it's fun to to be able to do that to learn how to do that better. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a technical side to it. And uh, there's just something too with your brain, like you're moving multiple limbs at the same time in different ways. It's, it's, it's like exercising almost, but just done in a creative sense. Yeah. It's funny that you, you mirror a lot of the way I look at drums as an instrument. I, I tried a lot of instruments growing up, but then somehow the drums only made the most sense. Uh, I had always thought of myself as not a not creative slash not musical person. And then at some point I kind of picked up the drum set and I was like, Oh my God, this is the thing. This is the one I can do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and as I got more and more into it, it was like, I'm, I'm an engineer by training and I noticed all the overlapping patterns that fit really nicely into an engineering mindset. And I thought that was really fun. Yeah, absolutely. And then just as you were explaining like how it holds tempo, it's funny. I kind of connected the dots and was thinking like the drummer holds space in the band. It's the one holding space for the entire, you know, as a unit, it's really an interesting thought. I don't know if you could think of anything to add to that, but just what I thought right now. Yeah, no, no, no. You're you're a hundred percent right. And the rhythm uh, that a drummer creates, you know, it, it it's what moves people too. Like there's that, mm -hmm. I don't know. There, there's that sense of responsibility that when you're performing, man, there's just nothing like the right groove at mm -hmm. the right time, placed with the right set of music. That just it's magical. 
It's really cool. That's awesome. So just as a side tangent here really quick, because I'm curious, do you have any drummers you look f- uh, up to that you would recommend listening to a song or two from them or anything like that? Because I, I kind of honestly want to go listen to it myself. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, so Eric, Eric Moore is amazing. He's a monster. Incredible drummer. I love Simon Phillips. I love Todd Suckerman. I love, you know, Neil Peart. Rest his soul. He just passed away. Yeah, I just uh, saw today. that. And so, yeah, iconic, iconic drummers that are just uh, fantastic. But yeah, Eric Moore for sure is one of my favorites. Tony Royster Jr. is another one. I like a lot of gospel drummers. I love their mm. chops, their ability to flow around the kit. Yeah. Yeah, those those would be totally in, in my top. Awesome. My top three, four, five. Cool. Yeah. I'll have those in the show notes for sure so people can go check them out because... Yeah, it's a really cool thing to kind of learn from the great. So the, those who came before. And then last question yeah. here is any of your favorite books or most gifted books that you've given to people or have a major impact on you? Yeah, 100%. I would recommend the book A Million Miles in a Thousand Years by Donald Miller. Unbelievable book. Mm-hmm. I loved it. I still love it. It's a, it's a, an amazing book. Inspired me and still inspires me to this day. It's all about how to make your life a better story. And it's about taking risks. It's about taking chances, but also about designing it. It's about people. It's about connection. And really too, I mean, it's about script writing and film and, and again, what makes a great story and how you can take, you know, the elements of a compelling film or a compelling documentary or whatever it may be and turn that into your life. Mm-hmm how to write that for your life. Again, you can design it. You are the writer of the story. So write it, write it well and, and, and make it something that's worth living, right? Something that's not even necessarily worth watching, right? You're not living your life so that people watch it and go, man, good for like, you're living, you're, you're, you're writing it to live, to, mm-hmm. to, to, to live, to really, I don't know. You, we take for granted, I think sometimes life and that we're born and, I probably shouldn't say it, but I'm going to say it like out of, out of 40 million sperms, you're the one that won, Eric. I'm the one that won. Like we won, like you won the race of life. (laughs) You are a human. You are here on this, this planet. And I know it sounds a little weird, but it's true. And man, I, again, I think to live is that is the rarest thing in the world. So take advantage of it and, and do it to the best of, of your abilities. Awesome. Why, why wouldn't we? <laughs> That's so good. There's not a, any better way to end this conversation. We could keep going for many hours at this point. How can people connect with you, Clint? Instagram is awesome. Just Clint Pulver. And then also my website, clintpulver.com. Awesome. Thanks so much, Clint. I know you've got to get going. So I really appreciate you making the time to talk to me here and this is a great conversation. I got a lot out of this and I got some text messages to go send to people. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Awesome. Well, thanks for the honor. Thanks for asking and all my best. And uh, thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. I will talk to you soon. Thanks, Eric. Bye. I want to take a quick second and talk about how you can support our show. I believe this is the most honest way that I can connect with you, the listener, and put it in front of everyone. You can support our show for as little as 99 cents a month. We release four podcasts a month, all at an average length of about an hour. That means you are supporting us at just 25 cents an hour. That's that's cheaper than the dollar menu. 
I think it's safe to say that we provide more value than that. And if you learn anything from our content, please consider becoming a supporter today with the link in the description of any episode or on the website at feedingcuriosity.net. And with that, thanks for listening and please enjoy the show. You just listened to an episode of Feeding Curiosity. Thank you all for listening and tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a like, subscribe, go check out the website over at feedingcuriosity.net and all the other things that we're doing there. And once again, thank you all for tuning in and we will see you in the next episode.